Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with the European champions, Chelsea first. Coming into you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, I have Rahul here from Connecticut, and Alex from Maine. Guys, it doesn't get tiring of saying the European champions, does it? Certainly doesn't, absolutely not. I'm... It's certainly good for internet points. It's good for personal pride. And I think it's good for the club prestige. Uh, it's good for bringing in a certain uh, high profile striker who's going to be joining our ranks this summer. Alex is ready to jump right into that. But Raul, how are you doing? I'm doing good. And just to answer your question, it doesn't get old and it's not going to get old until next season. Next season, Champions League winner is crowned. So people better <laughs> get used to it. That's right. So I know we want to talk about the Euros today that's going on full swing. But Alex, since you brought up transfers, maybe we want to start there today first. Sure, we can get into some of those rumors. I think the the latest I've been seeing, I mean, I think most Chelsea fans at this point know Holland and Hakimi have been two of the heaviest linked names. Um, the latest I'd seen was that Hakimi is actually not going too far um, at the moment because obviously there are a few clubs in for him. But Chelsea are still considering him a serious target. So... I think that one's going on in the background from what I've seen. I don't know if you have any more information on that, but our main man, Erling Holland, uh, supposedly today they said personal terms have been agreed. Um, Simon Phillips said that, Transfer Podcast said that. There were a few um, pretty credible sources saying that personal terms are good, and now it's up to whether or not we can agree a fee with Dortmund. Uh, and Real Madrid supposedly are sniffing around. So I have faith in Roman, though. I think he gets this done. Yeah, I'm hearing similar stories, but Rahul, why don't you go first? Yeah, I'm hearing the same things. The only my only concern right now is Agent Mara's hanging out <laughs> with Holland on vacation. I think in in Greece, if I'm not wrong. Mykonos. Uh, yeah, and they were partying it up, living it up at at a restaurant. And actually, Mara's puts out a tweet or a post saying Agent Mara's is at work. So if he can turn his head, I don't know. But like Alex said, when Roman comes for you and and puts those uh, big money offers on the table, you got to go for it. Yeah, I I agree 100%. I think this is, you know, Agent Mars. he said even in the caption of that tweet, in the comments of that tweet, he said, don't guys chill, I'm joking. I think, you know, it's all fun and games. Professional players love to hang out together. But realistically, I'm signing for the Champions League winners. Sounds a lot better than I'm signing for the Champions League losers. That's all I've got to say. <laughs> Indeed it does. But yeah, I'm hearing similar things, guys. Hearing that transfer fee for next year, should nothing happen, is about $75 million on a release clause. So what I'm hearing right now is that Chelsea are willing to meet that number or better it and actually loan Holland back for a year because it's a win-win for everybody. Dortmund gets the money that they're looking for or will get if the transfer fee is met next year and they get to keep him for a year. So that sounds like a good deal. But like Alec is saying, there's a lot of moving parts, a lot of different teams that are looking for a top-notch striker right now. So all up in the air. And the Hakimi one, Raul, I think before we started recording on air today, you kind of noted that it, it had died down a little bit. Yeah, I think the it's still in the news here and there. And the agent, I think, mentioned that uh, Hakimi is most likely to be the one leaving Inter because they need to raise money. Uh, but he's not really said one way or another. And I think Chelsea have only really spoken to the agent very briefly, not even made any contact with Inter. So uh, it's going to be an interesting one, but I, I don't know anything more about it. It's 
that's where it is right now. Yeah, I was talking to someone today as well, and and he was saying, I don't even think we need Hakimi. I know you guys had said on your account, it's he is he's a class player. He's young. Um, competition is what makes the best teams the best. Depth is what makes, say, um, a Real Madrid type do the three-peat of uh, Champions League wins. I think it's, it's definitely a, a situation where maybe we're a little uncomfortable with, with a player coming in like that. If we, if we think too hard about our sentimental ties to say Reese James, Hudson Adoy. Um, but Reese James is a versatile player. I have faith that he's going to continue to develop. I have faith that even if we did bring in Hakimi, even if he did end up at Stanford bridge, I think Reese's future is just fine. Um, maybe Hudson Adoy is a little more uncertain. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, this is a club where we need to keep the winning culture, keep the winning mentality. Um, and sometimes that means adding high quality backup. Uh, I don't think we'd complain. Yeah, definitely would agree with you there. And as and when we hear more information, definitely we will share it with our listeners first. But guys, the yours are going on. They're in full swing. I know both of you guys have had some time to catch in on several different games. And Rahul, why don't you take us through some of the first openers? Yeah, so it started on Friday with uh, Turkey, uh, the home team playing against Italy, but the game was in Rome, a little weird. And that was kind of the theme with some of these games being played across Europe. Uh, but it started off with Turkey and Italy, and Italy ran out 3-0 winners. Uh, it took them a little bit to break through. Turkey were uh, defending pretty deep and holding on, but once Italy started uh, scoring, um, there was only one winner from there, and they got the second and third, and they put the game to bed. So I think for Italy, for their perspective, a good win, a win that starts their tournament, gets them going, and then obviously three goals, which sets them up pretty well. And on Turkey's side, I think three goals is a little unfair in that they were really trying to minimize the damage. Uh, because as you know, most of the group's third place teams will qualify depending on their record. So three goals really hurts those chances for Turkey, at least. Yeah, and you guys keep me honest throughout the whole thing, but I think this is the first time Italy has scored three goals in the Euros or in the European group stages or something like that. It was Euros ever. Yeah. yeah, so that's pretty impressive from an Italy side that seems like they're here to play, right? Yeah, that and and a Turkey side that, as we've said, was really defending quite heroically for a lot of that game. They were putting up a really good fight. Um, I think all three goals came in the second half. It, so it was not it was not like a a total demolition of this team by any means. Italy just worked hard, found the breakthroughs. I was proud. I'm sure we'll we'll get into this as you go. I was proud of my my Chiro Immobile pick uh, in the fantasy league. He got the job done. I was begging for him to to get on the score sheet, um, grabbed a goal, grabbed an assist, um, and Italy just you know, their quality shown through at the end. And I think this is why a lot of pundits before were saying, let's not forget about uh, Italy in our conversations about the Portugals, the France's, the Germany's, the England's. Let's not forget that Italy could actually have, have a shot here. They most definitely can. Raul, you want to jump into the next day? Yeah. So the second day was Wales uh, versus Switzerland and it ended one, one, but Switzerland, Switzerland really had some good chances to, uh, put the game to bed and in fact took the lead, but then Wales came back uh, 76-77th minute and scored a header. Uh, and then I think Switzerland had the ball in the net, but it was VAR came in and looked at it and, and ruled it off. So 
it ends 1-1, but f- from what I saw in that game, I think Mbolo, the this, this Swiss striker, looked very good. And I think a couple of Premier League teams that need strikers, us included, he may not be a bad option. Yeah, I think I, I didn't see much of that game at all. Um, I was quite busy on Saturday, but I saw that as well in the news. I saw people praising him. Um, I don't know if, if Jackie, you have any thoughts on, on Mbolo's potency? Yeah, I think it's nice to see somebody with a strong presence playing in the game. And definitely when it's a team, Wales and Switzerland, no disrespect to any fans from any of those countries, they're not usually in the names mentioned as winning the Euros. So for me, sometimes it's a good opportunity for players from these countries that may not win the Euros, but to put their name on the map, just like you're, you're describing, Rahul. I mean, Greece did this several years ago in Euro 2004, and all of those players that played their hearts out and earned big money moves to different clubs and really could make a name for themselves and, in fact, go on and do something great. So at the very least for this particular guy, if he could just have a good tournament, if Switzerland win by some miraculous way, great. But if not, have a good tournament. And then, of course, you'll have different big teams looking at him for sure. All right, guys. So there are a couple more that happened on Saturday, and there's a couple of ties into this one. So the first one is actually Denmark, Finland. Rahul, you want to take us through that one really quickly? And I don't know if we need to talk so much about the gameplay, but some of the interesting things that happened during the game and after the game as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right. So just to get the result out of the way, Finland went on and won uh, 1-0. And I believe that was their first win at the Euros. I may be wrong, but yeah, uh, they came in as very dark horses. They weren't even favorites for this game and obviously went on to win it. But the incident that got everyone talking and scared and, and worried was the Christian Eriksen uh, going down in, in towards the end of the first half, I believe. And for now that we know what happened, it was a, a heart attack uh, on the pitch while he was playing. And I got to be honest, I had actually left uh, home, not, you know, not watching the game. And all of a sudden I see social media going crazy and uh, my phone's going off and I'm like, wait, what happened? And so I go look at the video and I'm sitting in my car in traffic and I have the chills just watching what's going, what's happened. So I can't even imagine what his teammates are thinking, what the fans on that side are thinking. Um, and obviously we'll get into this point too, but the fact that they came out and played this game again is just beyond me because I, I who have not been in any connection with either of those teams or fans or players was disturbed by it. So I can't even, imagine what those guys went through yeah that was that was an absolutely crazy incident for anyone who didn't see it I think it was in the 40th minute just about um, where he went to receive a throw in and the ball just bounced off his foot and he just went face down into the grass just completely dropped and you could tell something was wrong immediately when the ref um, I think it was Anthony Taylor uh, was it and credit to him um, everyone was I'm I know us Chelsea fans, we, we have a very, very mixed history, maybe on the negative side more than the positive with Anthony Taylor, but he did a great job stopping the game quickly, getting medical help on the field. Um, the players were all beckoning. You can really tell when it's a serious, serious injury, and you could tell right away that that one wasn't good, especially when he wasn't moving. Um, so that was certainly a scary incident, and I agree with you. It was a little odd. I, I heard that they were given the option of either forfeiting the game or restarting it right after or doing it on Sunday, which I think realistically maybe Sunday would have been a a more 
reasonable option. Um, though I did also see that supposedly Christian Erickson called his teammates and said, go on with the game. I'm okay. Um, but we're all relieved to see him, see him. Okay. But as you said, that was a seriously disturbing sequence of events, especially to watch it unfold live. And I'm sure for those people attending the game, it was all the worse. And, and to that point, Alex, sorry, Jackie, just a second, watching it live, they continued showing the on-field actions yeah. for at least 20 minutes after the after he had gone down. And in fact, the, his teammates eventually gathered around him, for, built a shield and grabbed the fans from the Finland, uh, flags from the Finland fans and, and blocked what was going on because they realized that this was being telecasted worldwide yeah. for people to watch, which BBC, ESPN in the, here in the US and other channels around the world should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah. That was not <laughs> good. Yeah, I'll speak to that point first. And, and honestly, in hindsight, it makes sense that they shouldn't be televising that. But I think it's one of those things that it happened so rarely and no one really knew what happened that they just kept filming. It's kind of standard for cameramen and production people to film everything. And I guess in hindsight, yes, they should have stopped filming. I, I think mostly everybody was in shock. So I, I don't know how much I can really blame them. I yeah. personally was watching the game and I went to take a bathroom break during the game. And I came back and the whole game was paused and I was like, what's going on? And as you start looking, they kind of pan in, pan out, pan in, pan out, and they explain what happened. I did get a chance to see exactly what happened. And it's quite surprising to see a young, healthy, fit. When you say fit, I mean top of the line athletes that play the highest level, go through the best checks and just for a snap of fingers, fall down to the ground. And it was a reality check that this can happen to anyone. And I'm so glad, so glad that nothing happened at the end of the day as far as his life. He's back up and communicating. In fact, about an hour or so after, like Alex talked about, he did communicate with his teammates saying, go on with the match, which was at least a good situation to come from it. Now, how they continued the game after, there's a lot of sides to this thing where, yes, they had, a, they had confirmation from Erickson that he was fine, but there's also, would you really feel better playing tomorrow knowing that you've gone home and spoken to your friends and family and everybody sh in shock really about seeing, like I said, a wor world-class healthy athlete just collapse to the ground. Yeah. That I don't think there's really any easy way to do it. And I, I do understand. I mean, people were, there were some people saying it's, I mean, for the TV point, I do understand it wasn't even necessarily the, the cameraman that's their job to film things. I, there's hardly a protocol for this kind of event because as you said, it's, it was absolutely shocking. Most of the injuries we see, people want to see multiple times because it's an actual muscle injury or a, you know, a clash of heads or something, and you want to see how bad it is, how it happened, whether the player's getting treatment. But this was just one that was ugly all the way through. And I think you know, it's, it's, it's easy to criticize the TV networks. I think going forward, people will be a lot more careful about this kind of thing, um, as they should be. But I, I think everyone, as you said, was absolutely in shock because this is certainly not something I've seen happen live before. Um, I've hardly seen it happen before at all. I do remember the only similar thing I can think of in my mind. Um, I believe there was an Ajax player several years ago who collapsed. Uh, I don't know if it was during a game or training, um, but th this is not something, I mean, especially in such a widely televised tournament that people tune in expecting to see. So shocking stuff all around but we're very glad he's okay yeah and just to add on to that i mean 
that was the end of the game. We've talked about quite a few different things, but there was a lot of communication and uncertainty around the next game that was supposed to be played with regards to Belgium and Russia, mostly because Belgium actually has a couple of players, not just Lukaku, who is his direct teammate, but others that have played with Ericsson over his time as a footballer, including going back to Tottenham. People like Jan Vertonghen come to mind. And it's one of those where when you hear about a teammate who, if you really train with somebody, you're spending well over eight hours a day with this person. You're on the road with this person. You may share lunches, breakfast, dinners, hotel rooms. I mean, they become more than just a teammate. They become like family. And so to get a text or to get news or word that one of your closest friends or almost family has collapsed to the ground, and then what mental state are you in to then go on and play the next game. Rahul, you want to talk about that one? Yeah, it was tough. You could see the emotions in, in the guys you mentioned. Uh, and Lukaku celebrating his first goal and dedicating it to Ericsson. Uh, and just overall, as a professional, you see another professional go down. And, and you worry about yourself because, like you said, this, these guys are the fittest they are uh, the, out there. There's people watching them continuously, doctors, and looking at their health. And none of this was picked up. So you worry about it and you, you question what you're doing and what you're about to do in, is in play the game and run around and, and tax your heart. But they, Belgium and Russia came out and did a, a, a professional job. Belgium win, win 3-0, uh, two goals from Lukaku and one from Munir, I believe. And so it was emotional. It was scary, but I think they did the right thing, which was the show must go on in terms of the Belgium-Russia game. I still have my doubts about the Denmark-Finland game, but we've we've spoken about that and left that in the past. So uh, that's all there is with that one. Yeah, and I mean, like you talked about with the goals, Lukaku, I mean, transitioning away from a, a tough situation and Lukaku putting it on his shoulders, he was incredible. He really was incredible with his pace, his strength, his finishing, leading the line. You can almost see why coming back to transfers, Chelsea were linked back with Lukaku because he, he's almost raised his game another level since playing under Antonio Conte at Inter Milan. I yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I think he 100% has raised his game. And that's where a lot of the people who just, I, I, let me be clear, I'm still fully on the Holland hype train. But a lot of the people who just dismissed without a second thought the idea of us re-signing Lukaku we're just spouting the usual stuff of, oh, crappy first touch, no link up play. He's like, doesn't have any finesse. He's got no, I mean, they partially probably due to his physique. He seems like he's just kind of a strong, you know, strong guy, strong shot. Doesn't seem like he would have too much technical skill, but some of his highlights this season at Inter have completely shown that he has added a new dimension, I think, of playmaking to his game. Maybe he's always had it and never showcased it quite as obviously. But some of the link-up play he was doing was fantastic. I think I remember one of his one of his best assists was, was like a Travella outside of the foot curling pass that uh, Lataro Martinez banged in. Beautiful goal. Um, but he was also doing like, mazy runs with the ball at his feet drawing defenders freeing his teammates with passes he does honestly seem and I don't say this lightly he seems like he's approaching this is for all the people who are ready to slander me he's approaching a Harry Kane level of completeness to his game I would argue um, in that Harry Kane 
as we've seen this past season, robbed of player of the year, by the way, uh, can assist just as well as he can score. And I think that is that playmaking, the interplay, the passing is something that Lukaku has really added. And it's impressive. Yeah. And for a stocky or thicker guy, more muscular, maybe is the right word to describe him. He does pack quite a bit of pace as well. So very impressive to watch Lukaku. One more name I want to throw out there before we move on, Rahul, is Aiden Hazard, our very own Chelsea blue boy now playing for Madrid. Doesn't seem to be the first name on the team sheet for Belgium anymore. Well, I think that's down to his fitness issues uh, and the fact that he's just come back from an injury. I think this was the right game to kind of edge him back into it. Uh, He got about 15, 20 minutes, if I'm not wrong. And I I think that's the right step for him going into the tournament, but having him, Kevin De Bruyne, not play this game in Belgium run out 3-0 winners quite easily. Uh, and another name I want to mention while we're talking about Lukaku is Thierry Henry, that that little uh, moment they had on the touchline when Henry and him are just like face-to-face and Henry's like pointing at him. That's the confidence he needs, Lukaku. I think when he was at Manchester United, people always bantered him, said stuff about him, and that doesn't help him. And so you can see with the right coaching, with the right people around him, he he excels. And uh, I was telling someone on our Instagram that I'd rather bring him back than Hakimi from Inter. Yeah, fair point, definitely. But if it blocks a move for Holland, I don't think Alex will be in. <laughs> I mean, that's, there are worse dilemmas to have than choosing between Very true. prime Lukaku and 20-year-old Erling Holland as your striker choices. So... I, my, my, my only hope there is that I feel like Holland, as we've discussed with his pace, his shooting, everything, maybe still needs a little bit of that link up. But I feel like in a year or two or three, Holland could develop into what Lukaku is right now, um, which would mean you'd have, I don't know exactly how old Lukaku is, 28, is he? Something like that. Um, but in my eyes, you'd then have a skill level of Lukaku, but eight years younger. Um, So that's my only real argument for him, both top-notch players. Great points, guys. Let's jump into the next couple of games. Rahul England, Croatia was the first one on Sunday. Yes, sir, and it's coming home. (laughs) (laughs) The rematch of the World Cup, right? Right, right, from 2018. And um, England run out 1-0 winners, and I think they deserved it. They put out a good team. They put out a decent performance, not the best. But at this point of the stage, you just want to get out there, get a win out of your system uh, and get set up for a good tournament. So I think this win probably sets them up for a good run in the tournament, but you never know with England. So uh, we've got to take it game by game. But at least in this game, from what I saw, pretty impressive. Only thing I'd tell Southgate is play a natural left back. (laughs) I was going to say, you say it's coming home with Gareth Southgate. You never quite know. Uh, I think it was quite quite shocking not to have either Chilwell or uh, Jaden Sancho on the bench. Obviously, I'm a little more uh, salty about that one than than the average person due to the fact that I had both of them in my fantasy team. Uh, but you know, it is what it is. A win's a win, and as you said, I think I think it was actually the first. Was it the first time they've won their first game in the Euro group stages or something? Yeah, that's like that? right. Yeah, because I'd heard a stat like that, and I mean, it's it's almost. Um, whatever it's almost like the Italy stat of them never having scored three goals in the Euros before that's you know the stats don't mean too much it's all about how you show up 
every new game, every new tournament. I don't think those long running stats really hang too heavily over people's heads, but just the fact that those little curses you could maybe call them are being broken. Um, I think we are in for some good clashes later on in this tournament. And I, I completely agree. Southgate needs to, I don't even care if it's Shaw Southgate needs to start a left back. <laughs> Do you know what's interesting, Alex? Rahul and I growing up really did support England mostly because we had a lot of touches to the Premier League. So we knew a lot of the players and a lot of the tournaments we watched, Euros, World Cup, whatever you call it, we saw the so-called golden generation as it was called. And they really did underperform, but there were some amazing players talking about different ages from Gary Neville and Paul Scholes at the older part to your middle ages of Steven Gerrard and... Frank Lampard, John Terry. And then you've got the younger guys coming in, such as like Wayne Rooney at that point in time. And it's interesting because I look at this England squad and they're equally, if not, dare I say, even more talented than the the squad we saw growing up. And I just want to get your opinion on how you think England have just found a good mix of players to enter the squad. I mean, I saw one thing on, on, Twitter that was a photo of uh, Gerard and Lampard together and then Mount and Foden together and saying the new generation is here and obviously you don't want to take those comparisons lightly because Lampard and Gerard were fantastic as you said the it was called the golden generation for a reason but I think you're seeing with a few specific national teams um, maybe the U.S. on a lower scale but in a similar sense being a real core group of young players who have played together for a while and are breaking out with talent all over the pitch. Um, And so I've been excited watching that as a U.S. and Pulisic fan. And I think English fans have every reason to be equally, if not more excited, because they've got some top class players at almost every position. Um, Obviously, I mean, realistically, I think it's good that there's so much heated debate over who they should even take to this tournament. I still think maybe Lingard was a bit hard done by. Um, You saw photos of him at a beer garden with a parrot on his shoulder watching the game, uh, repping Declan Rice, which was nice to see. You know, he takes it. He takes it nicely, which is good. But it's a really good problem to have when you have fans debating whether Sancho or Grealish or Rashford or Foden or Mount or any number of these highly talented players should be making the starting 11. I, I think there's every reason to be excited. And it looks, as you said, it looks like they've got a little more chemistry maybe, and they won't underperform quite like that golden era, but there remains, that remains to be seen. Some great analysis there. And like you said, they're, they're excited. They should be excited. And Rahul, someone else that should be excited was North Macedonia, right? <laughs> Scoring their first ever goal. Yeah, they, they should be excited. Just on England real quick, I want to touch on Calvin Phillips. Oh, yeah. Uh, he had a, he had a good season with Leeds, but this game was it was just him. He was running the show. Um, and if I'm one of the top six clubs, I'm going for that, man, because, wow, he put on a display and, and set up the with the winning goal for Sterling, who actually has grown up two minutes away from Wembley Stadium. So I know there's a lot of people questioning, doubting, and, and just calling uh, the shots for Southgate. But there's these players that are determined and want to do it. So we've got to trust them. And yeah, North Macedonia coming to them. Goran Pandev. Yes, this is not a blast from the past segment. This <laughs> man is still playing, I believe, at Genoa in Italy. And is 37 years old and scored North Macedonia's first goal ever at the Euros. <laughs> That's poetic. 
It's incredible. Oh. I remember him. We were watching him growing up. I believe when he was with Inter Milan, right? Back yeah. in the day. So it's it was nice to see him playing. I actually had to pause for a minute and say, "Is this the same pandem <laughs> that we watched growing up?" So good to see he still continues. But end of the day, Austria take the win with with three one. And then another exciting game with Netherlands versus Ukraine, and our very own Andrei Shevchenko leading Ukraine, but it ends three two. Alex, did you get a chance to catch up on that game? I didn't see the game itself, unfortunately, though I'd, I'd heard um, and I tuned in after and they were saying the second half was absolutely crazy. If I'm not wrong, we're all five goals scored in the second half. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to catch that game either. To be very I, I think so. I want to say one was scored in the first Maybe half, but I may be wrong. I can, I can yeah, pull it I'll up. I'll check. But um, yeah, I, I'd, heard, I'd heard that was – people were describing that as the game of the tournament so far. No, it looks like it was – it was Wijnaldum in the 52nd minute, um, Weghorst in the 58th, and then you had Yarmolenko in the 75th. Was his goal the the beautiful curler? That was, that was really goal, nice. Yeah. And then uh, Yuremchuk in the 79th, and then Dumfries in the 85th. So we're looking. I mean, that that that's an exciting half. That's an exciting half. And unfortunately, uh, one of the ones I was able to tune into was Spain, Sweden, uh, getting ahead of myself. That was the next day, which was not quite as exciting, but you know, I think the Netherlands are someone who they're, they're a team with some talent as we know, and they got the job done. I wish I'd been able to see more of it, but Hey, that's, that's hindsight for you. Maybe I have to tune into the next, the next Ukrainian or uh, Netherlands matchup if I'm free. Yeah, honestly, and that's the beauty of the Euros is that there's so many games. It makes it difficult to catch each and every one of them. So for any of our listeners out there, if there's a particular game you really want us to cover, let us know for the next episode. Then we can do some even more in-depth analysis. I know Raul likes to come with his book of facts, and Alex is going to come with definitely different information. We can share that with you guys as we go through. But to jump to the next couple of days, Raul, I think you want to talk about Scotland Czech real quick. Yeah, I mean, we said the Netherlands-Ukraine was the game of the season. Scotland-Czech had the goal of the tournament, I beg your pardon, of game of the season. Um, and Scotland, I think, were favorites to win this, at least from the players that we know that play on them. But Czech Republic showed up and got two goals. And the first was from Schick, uh, Patrick Schick, and he scored a header. And then the second one was about 45 or 50 yards out with the goalie. I don't know what he was doing. <laughs> But it was just off his line and, and Patrick Schick sees him off his line and just goes for it Beckham-esque and, and gets the second goal. Yeah, I think from what I saw, it was 40, a 47-yarder. And there was one angle of it that uh, people were looking at where the ball is so off frame because of the amount of curl he put on that shot. But it sneaks beautifully back between the posts, just under the crossbar. Uh, people were getting on the Scottish keeper a bit for not not throwing himself at it. But I think, I think with his momentum and the way the ball was going, I think that might have made it look that much more spectacular. But I don't think he was getting there. It was a, an unbelievable shot. I don't know. I know I, I personally am a bit of a, an expected goals uh, aficionado myself. I don't know what the expected goals were for that shot, but it can't have been high. That's all I could say. So I'd love to see that, actually. I think the penalty is either 0.7 or 0.8. That must have been 0.01, 0.001 even, because unbelievable, unbelievable strike. Exciting, definitely, to hear about. Poland, Slovakia was the next one. Our very own challenger from Germany, Robert Lewandowski, leading the line for Poland, and uh, didn't go for him, right, Rahul? 
It didn't. And I got to be honest, I didn't watch this game, but uh, from the clips I've seen and from the highlights I've seen, Slovakia put in a good, good team performance. Uh, Poland, I think, were a little more reliant on their star in, in Lewandowski, but Slovakia with, I think, a 35 or 36-year-old Marek Hamsik. Again, not blast from the past. These are just players still playing. Might as well be. <laughs> yeah. Um, they did a very good job and fought hard for each other and, and got the win 2-1. Alex, I'll jump right into the next game since you said it was such an exciting game with Spain nil and Sweden nil. Thoughts on that one? Yeah, I mean, it was it had some points. It, it wasn't even it wasn't even horrible in that the, you know, to, to go to my favorite metric, there were a high number of expected goals because this was there were some sitters missed. I mean, we saw Murata pulling a Murata. I was going to say, just just say it. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat that one. That was that was quite something. Um, but really, the entire Spanish squad uh, let's read this out. They had 17 shots, 12 chances created, five big chances, um, 829 accurate passes. How, guess how many, if you don't know the stats, guess how many accurate passes uh, Sweden had during this match? 100. They had 89 passes <laughs> wow. during the entire match. So Spain almost had 10 times the accurate passes. I mean, geez, this is a professional professional match at the euros how are you not stringing together a hundred passes i don't know i'm not saying if you put me out there i'd have done any better but i'm i'm certainly uh, a bit unhappy 85 percent possession what are you doing and that was i don't even know that was that was something crazy but to give one some credit to Sweden, they fought hard yeah and one thing i'll say about that is spain is known for that style of keeping the ball and just passing it back and forth but ultimately i guess it comes down to that one important stat, Alex, is that they put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess they did it. Um, we want to talk about Morata here a little bit, Rahul, because I know we've had some tough situations with him being Chelsea fans, and I'm sure it must have been difficult to watch him miss another one. It was tough, but you knew it was coming. It's one of those things like you just know what you're getting with him, and I don't know, man. It's how he's made it to the squad, how he started this game. And uh, I don't even know, Gerard Moreno, who scored, I believe, in the uh, Europa League final, if I'm not wrong, or at least put in a great performance, was on the bench and finally came on and, and, and couldn't get it done. But I think if Spain want to go further in this tournament, they've got to find goals and, and find them real quick because if Sweden had scored that opportunity they had, which I believe was an empty net pretty much, this game would have been, like Alex mentioned, all those stats, but Sweden would have walked away with three points. Yeah, and, and one one um, thing to touch on there is Alexander. I'm not sure. Is it Isaac or Isak? I think it's Isak. He was, he was good. He, he stood out, um, had a couple really, really brilliant passages of play. Um, and I'm looking right now. He's, he's got some good stats in La Liga, 17 goals and two assists in 34 matches for Real Sociedad. 21 years old and he's six, four, but I mean, almost like we were talking about with Lukaku, when you see a bigger, stronger player, there's often the assumption that they're not quite as technical. Don't have quite the same ball skill, perhaps um, simply because the agility often comes in the form of an Eden Hazard, Messi uh, type, even an N'Golo Conte, who's just quick, low to the ground, but we love him. He, he, he keeps the ball right at his foot. 
I, he had a brilliant passenger play, laid it on a plate for his teammate. And, you know, as you said, Sweden could have grabbed the three points there. So, And, and the Swedish goalie was on fire, too. I know we said Maracha missed chances and, and all that, <laughs> but Olsen was all over the place, and he's actually Everton's backup goalie. So Really? Yeah, he, he could be earning himself a move to become a first choice, maybe at an Arsenal or something. <laughs> <laughs> You always like to stir the pot, don't you, Rahul? <laughs> you have to. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure Arsenal quite have that pull if they're being rejected <laughs> to have players join Aston Villa. But... <laughs> Gotta love it. Sorry for any Arsenal fans that are listeners out there. Rahul and Alex came here to cause some trouble. But for yeah. Tuesday, moving in, Hungary versus Portugal and Cristiano Ronaldo coming up with the goods again. What is he now? 37 years old, maybe? I he's lost track of his, of his that old. no 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 ronaldo age he's I, I swear he was like 35 oh he's 36 as of february 5th okay so not actually that far off but you wouldn't even know it with how he keeps bagging at the top stage it, it's because he doesn't drink coke <laughs> did you see that actually did you see that he plummeted the value of coke as a <laughs> by four billion dollars just by moving a Coke bottle out of the way at a press conference and saying, drink water. Now that is global stardom. That's the power that he has. And you know, what's funny is that Coca-Cola probably did some sort of advertising to get their cola bottles placed there. So I am sure some of the executives were not happy that happened, but like you said, that is the power of Ronaldo right there. Somebody got fired in the Coke boardroom today. That's all I can tell you. But realistically, right, Rahul, 3-0 versus Hungary. I mean, job done for Portugal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They Hungary held on, man. They were defending and defending. They weren't hungry at all. Um, and they came out and just put up two buses. And Portugal tried their best and missed chances, missed chances. And finally, they off the bench brought on some good players. I believe it was Rafa Silva. Um, yep, two and, assists for him. Yeah, two assists and... When you have a deep bench like they do, especially in this tournament, I think they have a better squad this time around than the last time when they won it. Uh, and Ronaldo, when he gets one, he obviously has to get a second and a third. So gets the goods and becomes the highest goal scorer in the Euros ever. Uh, and also is now featuring in his fifth European tournament, which is just crazy to believe because I remember when he first broke onto the scene in 2004 uh, and You know, it was a skinny kid that was just making his way. And now we see him, was it almost 20 years later, still playing in, at the top level? Yeah, I think I, a lot of people after the game were, I mean, people, I, he missed a bit of a sitter uh, in the first half from what I saw. It wasn't actually the easiest chance to convert. The ball came in really fast and he just couldn't quite get a solid shot on it on the volley. So not exactly, uh, not exactly the easiest chance. Some of the people slandering him online, I'd like to see them put that in the back of the net. But I don't know. I've always, I've always tried to respect both Ronaldo and Messi. And all I can say is, is if, if a, a bad game, as people were saying, Ronaldo had ends in a 90, 92nd minute brace, um, you know, two goals for your team in every bad game you play. I think every manager in the world would take a bad in quotes, <laughs> a striker who does not maybe have the best performance for all 90 minutes but the point of the game is to score goals. So that's what he does best. He does it again. That's why he's in the goat conversation. We won't go there, but you know, there's a reason he's so well-respected by most, most rational <laughs> fans of the game. And rightly so for him to keep delivering year after year is something that's incredible 
to, to just enjoy these players, like you mentioned, Messi and Ronaldo, while they're here, while they're playing, is definitely something we want to do. But for the last game, France versus Germany, and this is, I think this is Group F is probably the group of death. I don't know if we even touched on that with Portugal, France, Germany, and unfortunately Hungary got <laughs> placed in with them over there. All I heard you say, Hungary is not hungry. I, I, I did catch that pun. I'm not going to leave you hanging, but France versus Germany here. It was an entertaining game. I enjoyed uh, watching it, whatever I could. And even though it was just one goal, there was chances for both teams. And uh, it comes as an own goal with all those superstars and attackers on on the pitch. But uh, France got the job done. And, and that's all it takes right now is getting the points and getting out of the group. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I've actually got a small wager going. And when I, when I mean small, I mean $1 only. I don't want to <laughs> big numbers out but my boss is actually from france and he's bet with me that france will win this tournament and i've bet my dollar on england so that's something to pay attention to but alex i want to talk about overall the first game week any surprise teams for you so far i guess from what i saw most of this shook out how you would expect in terms of the largest teams um, you would expect Portugal to get the job done, and they did, even if they left it late. France is always a favorite, really, no matter who they're playing um, in almost any game, and they got the job done. Germany made it difficult, but um, England get the job done. Again, maybe not a brilliant, brilliant performance, but you know they put out the squad, and the squad got the win. They ended that poor run. Belgium gets the job done. Um, Italy gets the job done. I don't think there were any crazy, crazy upsets, obviously Finland winning over Denmark, but then you say, you know, that game had some extraordinary circumstances that we were talking about earlier. And from what I saw of the first half before that horrible Ericsson accident, it was a complete siege in favor of Denmark. I was just counting down until Denmark broke through. Um, I, so I wouldn't say there's too much to take away from this other than I am excited for these bigger teams with respect to the smaller ones. I'm excited for Italy, Belgium, England, you know, the Netherlands after, after that impressive second half performance, um, Spain, maybe a little less so after their recent display, but France, Portugal, Germany too. They, they put on a good fight. I cannot wait to see some of these clashes uh, later on down the line. Oh, your thoughts. I agree with Alex. The bigger teams obviously came through. Like I mentioned, for me, Slovakia was was a surprise, and that could be mainly just down to the fact that I don't really watch them or, or know many of their players. But from what I saw, they put in a good performance, fought for each other, and uh, they could be in for a surprise to go in as the, one of the top two teams. They may not even need to make it to the, the worry about the third-place team. So uh, personally, that was a surprise for me. But apart from that, it went pretty much according to the way you'd expect. Right. Uh, and for Germany, my only concern is they now go play Portugal. So if they don't win that game, then they're really going to be scraping and, and hoping that France can do them a favor or Portugal can do them a favor because um, they could be heading for a disaster for a second tournament running. Yeah, for sure. For me, just a little bit of a surprise with Italy guys, knowing that their history, they have not scored three goals before. And when we saw them win the World Cup, they're more infamous for being very defensive and getting their one nil wins. So to come out and do the way they did with the three nil, I'm going to keep an eye on Italy there and see how they perform throughout the rest of the Euros. But quickly before we move on to the next round, I want to get you guys' thoughts on any Chelsea players 
that stood out to you during this round? Alex, anybody in particular? Um, I would say that one I was going to mention earlier, actually, in the Scotland game, I saw a lot of Scottish fans calling for Billy Gilmore. Um, wasn't uh, wasn't put in the starting lineup, I think. And obviously, Scotland uh, went to a they slumped to a two nil defeat. So that was not maybe certainly not a glowing performance from them. Um, and I saw a lot of people, not just Chelsea fans, saying we need to get some of these younger Scottish talents through the ranks and start giving them a chance because they're hungry, they're talented, they're skilled, they want to, they've got a point to prove. Um, I think we probably see Billy Gilmore at the very least feature significantly in Scotland's next match because there's no way you as a coach can 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 lose two nothing to the Czech Republic and then not make some serious changes. Um, to how you approach the next game. So, you know, that's one I would look out for. I don't think any Chelsea players played amazingly well. Um, Conte, I suppose, we do have to admit, was was top class, but he's a victim of his own success. We see that as standard for him these days. Yeah, Raul, anybody stood out to you? Rudiger stood out to me with his little nibble of Paul Pogba <laughs> today. <laughs> conversation. Why don't you tell us, take us through that one? Yeah, I, I don't even know. I, I wish I could explain what was going through his mind, but he's like holding on to Pogba from the back and all of a sudden just like goes in Suarez style and, and maybe he's about to take a bite and decides otherwise and just goes in for a nibble like they've been saying on, on <laughs> Instagram. A nibble. Um, and, and then Alex was saying before we started that at the end they hugged it out and I wonder how that conversation went. Alex, do you think you have an idea? <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I I don't even know what you say to someone who you just took a cheeky little bite out of in a game. I mean, people were some people were saying, I think it was it Mark Clattenburg who they're pulling on as like additional analysis. He was saying, oh, it's hard to prove that he bit him. I I thought it was kind of clear that Rudiger at least got something of Pogba for the fact that he like clearly made a slight nibble motion, as we will call it. Uh, maybe not a full full fledged Suarez chomp. Um, but there, I also saw people saying, uh, uh, showing photos of Suarez biting someone and then Suarez and Rudiger in their shoving match in the champions league this season. And then Rudiger biting someone and saying Suarez infected him. It's maybe it's a little zombified virus type thing, but you know, that was, was just a little odd, but I almost am not surprised by it because somehow I feel like that's kind of the, the the kind of thing Tony Rudiger does. He just goes out and does weird stuff and he's really intense, but he gets the job done. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm surprised he got away with it. I'm sure it was just a nibble, which is why he was able to get away with it, but <laughs> definitely one that stands out, Raul. That's a good call. I mean, overall, I don't think any of the Chelsea players were outstanding by any means. Not that they were bad, but I don't think anybody stood out. Maybe Conte, like Alex has alluded to, but something popped into my mind, guys, and I'd like to discuss, discuss it really quickly. I know we jumped into transfers very early on. Both of you guys had high praise for Calvin Phillips, and both of you guys have asked me, and we've talked about Chelsea needing a central midfielder. We've been linked with Declan Rice, but his partner, Calvin Phillips, seems to be pretty good from what I'm hearing today. So any thoughts, Rahul, maybe from you? Yeah, I mean, I like I said, he did decently well in the Premier League season, um, maybe not the most glamorous and the fact that with the age and with him coming through with leads uh, from the championship, maybe that affects his uh, the way people view him and everyone prefers Declan Rice. But 
from what I saw in this England game and what I've seen this season, I think he would add some real steel and, and vision even with that assist that he brought to the England game to our midfield. Uh, I just don't know if Leeds would sell, especially to Chelsea. But I think if you're a top 16, maybe a Manchester United who need a, a midfielder, he's definitely a very good option. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't think I don't think he's one Chelsea should be looking out for. Um, I think it's it's similar to say the Grealish links. That actually was one thing I forgot to touch on today. They said Chelsea may be front runners for Grealish, uh, whatever that whatever significance that may or may not have, because um, we don't obviously know if he's leaving. But um, people were saying that Phillips, great player, um, he's he's looking quite complete at the moment, but. Chelsea fans were saying he almost fills more of an N'Golo Conte role in that he'll he's winning the ball pretty high up the pitch. He's not quite the traditional defensive midfielder that I think a lot of us do believe could really improve our midfield. Um, and that is where, even though I haven't been, you know, screaming for the Declan Rice transfer, I think if it happens, it happens. Um, I think Rice could provide a similar midfield steal, but um, being 22 years old as opposed to 25 and filling a position that I think we need a little bit more um, because we have the one and only best midfielder in the world, N'Golo Conte. So, you know, I'm not calling for him at Chelsea, but I agree. He could be, he could be a very good addition, um, even to like an Arsenal or Spurs. I think, you know, the smaller clubs in the Premier League should be looking to sign him. Fair point, guys. Rahul, do you want to take us through the next rounds that are coming up? Yeah, so just touching on the second round, some of the, the key fixtures. So Italy play Switzerland, which should be a good game in Group A. Uh, in Group B, Finland play Russia and Denmark play Belgium. Uh, so that will be interesting to see how Denmark bounce back from that. I know there was a, a note out from Christian Eriksen today that said, you know, I'm doing better and let's play and let's play all for uh, for Denmark and, and don't worry about me, that kind of sort of thing. So maybe that will uh, get them to push on. In Group C, Netherlands play Austria, so that should be a good one. And I think Ukraine need to win uh, their game as well. So they'll have to bounce back against North Macedonia. England play Scotland, which should be an interesting game because Scotland really need to get points on the board. Uh, and England obviously need to push on and, and just solidify their hold of this group. So that game is in London and there will be fans at Wembley. So it should be a great atmosphere. Uh, and just touching on the atmosphere, even against um, Croatia, when they finally scored that goal, the roar from even this about 10,000, 12,000 fans was so loud. So I can't even imagine what it's going to be in the Scotland game. Uh, Croatia themselves will need to get a performance against Czech Republic. Hungary play France. I think France should and will probably solidify their hold of that group. Portugal, Germany, like I mentioned, I think it's critical for both teams, but even more so for Germany. Spain, Poland, if Spain don't win this and, and pull out another draw, I think it, it makes it more difficult for themselves. And then uh, that wraps up that second round of fixtures. Yeah, so definitely busy games coming up. As we've talked about, it's going to be jam-packed, action-packed, and... Like I said earlier, if there's a particular game you want us to pay attention to, let us know. We can keep an extra eye on it and let you know how that game plays out. But Alex, I know you want to talk about the fantasy league that the Premier Chelsea is hosting now, huh? I, I'd rather not, Alex. <laughs> I think we've been uh, 
we've been done dirty by some of our players here. I Southgate and I have some some differences to settle after his team selection. Um, I let let's take a look at the league right now and give some credit where it's due. So first place right now is Mega Ten, sitting on eighty two points. Quite impressive. Captain Cristiano Ronaldo, never a bad choice. I'm sure he was buzzing with those two uh, late goals. Romelu Lukaku in the team. Um, no standout midfielders. Berardi looking good. Um, but Spinazzola, who we were discussing before this podcast, we wouldn't. I, I mean, I think our our knowledge is is heavily Premier League based. Um, I certainly would not have been able to identify Spinazzola as a good pick uh, coming into this tournament. And it looks like even after um, whatever he's had a good performance, thirteen percent selection in the fantasy league. So. Very good shout there. I saw one person actually captain Spinazzola, extremely bold, but he pulled out nine points, which then doubles to 18. And then the Finnish goalkeeper, uh, I, I don't know, maybe Jackie, the pronunciation God knows how to say, Lukas Hradecki. That's pretty um, good. I'm not going to take an attempt at that one. <laughs> very good. And, and yeah, that's really, to be honest, for this particular person that selected this, this goalkeeper, you must really know your international football because the three of us here were looking for some of the more common names. So for you to have faith and confidence to pick the Finnish goalkeeper, good on you. I, I, I did pick him. I just left him on the bench. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I picked him too as a, as a budget option to Same. afford four <laughs> name players. Um, but I, I was proved very wrong. So let, let's, we can briefly go over uh, our own our own positions in the league. We'll give our followers something to gloat about. I am currently seated at 45th. Pulisicko mode needs to step it up. I might have to grab that free transfer chip and do a serious overhaul of this squad because I am in trouble uh, if I don't get some 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 better picks in. Uh, what about you guys? Yeah, I am sitting with 42 points. And in the league, I believe I'm 48th, if I'm not mistaken. You can look out for me. I'm the name I Warner win this. <laughs> Let's see. That that's good, guys. I don't think I need to talk about where I sit. <laughs> so I sit for fairness, I think you need to tell us. <laughs> yes, I said 115th out of 117 people. So I'm I'm pretty far down there in, in my typical relegation form from the fantasy <laughs> premier league. Uh and my name is no Kane, no gain. Uh, and I guess I don't have Kane in my team, so I need to get him in there. Yeah, um, well, you didn't miss out on the worst Kane week, I, but I maybe didn't. he'll bag in the future. Yeah, so... Corrected, by the way, I'm sitting in 83, but I still, <laughs> to, to see you all, I still have to click see more rows. <laughs> <laughs> wow. yeah, we have to click that button quite a bit to get to yeah. our to get to our teams. Yeah. My goal, I, I, my goal is to end in the top, I think top 20 is a reasonable goal for me. Hopefully. I would agree with that. <laughs> there, there is still time to turn this around. This is only one game week, so we can't forget, you know, um, this, this, is, this is only one game week. I'll, I'll keep making memes about myself and my performance as I go. But I was also going to just briefly mention that I think maybe starting tomorrow, perhaps, I was thinking about doing a, a little mini Euros of our own, a little tournament with just some of the, the more creative names that we've seen in this. Uh, we've got some pretty funny ones, Giroud, Sandstorm. Uh, I, I, I found finding Timo quite entertaining. 
Um, so I think I might put up a little tournament and we can see who gets voted as the, the most entertaining name of our league. But thank you everyone who joined. I was very impressed to have what 130 something people in here. Yeah, it was, it was a good turnout. So thanks to everyone. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll cover this again next week and hopefully we'll all be moving a little bit higher in that <laughs> table. Um, but finally, before we wrap it up, guys, there is some Premier League news coming. So the fixtures come out tomorrow morning. Uh, British time is about 9 a.m. So it'll be pretty early for us, but I'm sure once we wake up, we'll get to see them. So I have a question. I asked our followers and a lot of them sent in their picks for the first game. Surprisingly, Manchester City, a very famous choice. Uh, and that could be just on the back of our three consecutive wins. So I'll ask you, Alex, who would you want in the first game? Oh, I like being bold. So I would say Manchester City because it would be humiliating for them to get slapped up by Thomas Tuchel for the fourth time straight. Alternatively, and I saw I saw your response to someone who said Manchester United. They seem to be a weird bogey team for us in that no matter how crap they are or what form they're in. And let, okay, let's, let's be real. They finished second. We, they finished above us in the table, but no matter their current form, no matter whether our players are on paper, better positioned to do well uh, in a given match, we always have trouble beating them uh, recently. I still remember, I think what our, our opening, was it our opening game with Frank Lampard where they beat us four nil um, I was in, actually in a pub in England watching that one, and that was not fun to watch. So it, I, would, I would absolutely adore starting our season with an emphatic victory over Manchester United to really, I mean, I want to start this humbling early uh, and put us on the way. But I'm certainly not complaining if we get a team that has three points as a higher possibility. Mackie, how about you? You know what? It's interesting. I think first game of the season, you really can play anybody and it can go one way or the other as you're still warming up. But an interesting one I'm looking at is if our dear own Frank Lampard gets the Crystal Palace job, I think that might be a fun reunion to pay, play a little London Derby against Frank Lampard. Yeah, that'll be, that'll be a fun one. And actually, speaking of Frank Lampard, he was back on television uh, ahead of the England game and it was very good to see him and hear him talk about Chelsea talk about what he's been doing talk about Mason Mountain who he said he taught everything yeah. to uh, obviously as a joke but yeah I mean it's good to see him and I think he should be back in a job maybe if not this summer then some part of next season he will pick up a job so uh, yeah it'll be good to have him in that if we end up at Palace in their first game uh, for me, I like to start off pretty easy, start off with a good home fixture against probably a North City, maybe Watford, one of these new boys coming to the league, and let's get the three points on the board and start our charge towards the Premier League title. That's got to be the goal. It has to be. But that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week to review the second round of the Euros and the Fantasy League. Uh, please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels, Apple, Spotify, Google, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. Also give Alex a follow at FC 22 And like I said, we'll be back next week. But until then, up the Chels. And remember, it's coming home.